Thank you for joining us today on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to stimulate thought, expand consciousness, and encourage community. I say encourage community because I believe that the vast majority of we humans are friendly tribal animals. And when we live in small enough communities in which we know each person by name or at minimum by face, we are collaborative enough to sustain everyone with the bare essentials of nutritious food, warm shelter, health care, and education provided with dignity, respect, kindness, and love. Today, we're bringing you another in our series called Confessions of the Psychedelic Elders. In this series, prominent people in the sciences and arts are going to reveal to you, our listeners, and the world, details of their courageous sub rosa self-experimentation with psychedelics over the past decades. My purpose in creating this series is to counter the half century of disinformation that our country has led the world into believing about psychedelic medicines and instead inform the world that prominent, good citizens, contributory citizens, patriots, solid fathers and mothers, and civic leaders have risked their careers and their livelihoods in order to learn about and from these psychedelic substances and thereby allow the general public to benefit from their significant healing properties. Our special guest today is Francoise Bozat. Francoise is the author of Consciousness Medicine, Indigenous Wisdom, Entheogens, and Expanded States of Consciousness for Healing and Growth. Francoise is on the adjunct faculty of the East-West Psychology Program at the California Institute for Integral Studies. She's also studied with shaman in Mexico and the United States and teaches seminars on these topics around the world. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Francoise. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. So you heard the introduction. You know what this is about. Yeah. Are you indeed a psychedelic elder? I think I am. I think I qualify. (laughs) May I ask, please, how old are you? I'm going to be 65 in a month and a half. Well, you just make it. 65 was going to be our our cutoff point. So Mm -hmm. you're you're right there. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, your present occupation, you're a teacher and and a psychotherapist. Is that correct? That's correct. I'm a counselor. And I am a trainer for psychedelic guides. And from what I've read, you you travel around the world to different countries doing uh, training and, and, and teaching psychedelic guides. Is that correct? That's correct. I go um, to France. I go to Israel. I go to Lebanon. Um, and I 
Switzerland and and a lot of places around the country here. Uh, when you in France, of course, you're French, so you speak French. What language do you conduct your seminars in in Lebanon and Israel? Well, in Israel, mostly in English, and in Lebanon, a combination of English or French. A lot of uh, Lebanese people speak French, just like I do. Uh huh. And what is your present living situation? Do you live with someone? Do you do you live alone? Uh, what, tell us a little about your personal life in that regard. Uh huh. Well, I live with my husband, uh, who is a man from Israel, and I've lived with him for 35 years. Um, we have two children and um, <clears throat> two grandchildren. Congratulations. And thank you. And so I live with him. We live in uh, California, south of San Francisco, and happily, um, well, you know, marriage, but happily married for all these years. And yeah. <laughs> Thirty-five years—that's a long-term relationship. That's like that's a long-term relationship. That's seven California marriages. So, as an aside, it's not our main topic, but just you know, from the blink, what what are three things that you think contribute to the longevity of your thirty-five-year marriage? A shared passion for consciousness and psychedelics. Um a uh, shared um, interest in being bold and adventurous and uh, doing what we feel is right, and uh, a great sense of mutual support and respect for each other. We support one another um, unconditionally and individually, so there's a lot of uh, generosity in how we support one another. And. Do you, uh, were you brought up with religion? Yes, I was brought up in a very Catholic environment in France. Uh, my father almost became a, a, um, a priest. He was in the seminary for four years uh, studying and almost became a priest before he, uh, he met my mom. Uh, <clears throat> so I was raised in a very Catholic uh, environment, yeah. And uh, what about your husband? Was he raised with religion? No, he was not raised with religion. Of course, being in Israel, there was a culture, a Jewish culture, with holidays and celebrations, but his parents were actually um, uh, more communist, and so they were um, determined to uh, to not be very religious, in fact. Mm-hmm. And... Does religion have a place in your life uh, presently? Um, not religion per se. I mean, I do make a Christmas tree and we do do, um, you know, Hanukkah and different different uh, Jewish celebrations. So we have a, a combination of celebration. They are more celebration than religious practices per se. Mm -hmm. uh, we have... Uh, you know, a, a different sense of spirituality based in the consciousness um, exploration that we do and the values that we hold, but not really by religion per se. What's your present uh, conception of, of what's referred to as God? Mm. Well, um, God for me is a, is a divine presence, a... Um, and a consciousness um, infusing all that is existing with uh, with spirit uh, and life and soul. 
So I believe in consciousness and um, the great force of the universe being a, a loving kindness um, a force that is sometimes uh, visible in, 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 in objects and beings and sometimes invisible just in the, in the air we breathe. And with that conception of God being a loving force, uh, how do you account for the atrocities in life, the, for the darkness, for, the, for the, neg the, the, the negative that we know is going on around the world as well as the love? Mm. I believe that uh, the, the force of the universe is, is ultimately loving and essentially uh, well-meant. And I believe that as people, as incarnate beings, we are confronted with our duality, both inner and outer, and that this duality is really um, expressed through the extreme um, destructiveness that we inflict on each other and the planet. So there is a, con uh, a conflict or a paradox between um, the essence of life, which is loving, and the existence of life, which is dual and conflicted, both in our, in our inner world, um, but also in the world that surrounds us, that we express, essentially. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to that later on in the interview. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to go a little bit back in time with you now. And how mm -hmm. old were you? when you had your first uh, experience with a mind-altering substance of any kind? I was, um, I was 17, really. Um, I, I, I didn't get very um, expanded, but it was my first experience uh, smoking what we called uh, hashish in, uh, that was coming from Afghanistan and... Um, uh, you know, the, the Middle East, um, in France and my friends, you know, were my friends and I, we were, um, have getting this sticky paste that we would crumble into, uh, cigarettes with tobacco and smoke. And so that was my first experience in being in an altered, um, altered state, you know, in a different states of consciousness. <clears throat> and it was fun. And it, we had a lot of, um, you know, we'd go to concerts and we'd play guitar and sing song and walk around and go to the park. And it was, uh, it was pleasant. It was not, I don't remember it as a really marking experience for me, even though it was my first time, but my very first time of really, really being, uh, clearly, um, uh, I, I want to acknowledge that as my first initiation in the uh, expanded states is when I was 19 and I was traveling in South America and I took some uh, Wachuma, San Pedro cactus, a mescaline field. And then I had a very meaningful 14 hours experience um, uh, under the effect of mescaline. Do you remember what it was that you actually took? I mean, yes. it wasn't it wasn't synthetic mescaline. It was probably no, no, no. it was a plant no. of some kind, right? That's, that's right. So the person who gave me this, uh, me and a, a small group of friends, we were like three of us, um, the, the 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 mescaline. It was he had prepared the cactus and he had cooked down the flesh of the cactus to little balls, little balls like this. Little little tiny balls like the tip of my finger, and then we would just swallow them uh, with water. 
chug them down with water. And we took uh, several of these little balls. I don't really understand the, the quantity of that or how powerful, you know, in terms of dosage, I wouldn't be able to measure uh, <clears throat> right now, evaluate that. But it was significant. I mean, it was very, uh, very meaningful for me. Yeah. So you were three or four French teenagers traveling together? Well, I was traveling with my boyfriend. We were hitchhiking yeah. through the Americas for nine months. So ah. I, we, we, landed, we landed in New York and we took off from La Paz. And for nine months, we hitchhiked the Americas, um, backpacking and hitchhiking and, you know, being back, on the road. Back in <laughs> the days when it was safe to do that. 75, 75. Yeah. Quite. So that was great. 75, 76 were my, my time of doing that. It was really, really wonderful. I learned a lot about myself, about the world, about uh, various cultures. It was fabulous. It was fabulous, yeah. Did you take notes? I did. I found my journal not that long ago. Actually, my, my that boyfriend uh, found the journal that we had together. And a few years ago when I was in France and we still talk and we see each other once in a while, you know, in France as friends, uh, he gave me the journal. It was very sweet. And so I read the journal again and, uh, it was really fun to read with my, Oh, I bet it was Yes, your own version of the motorcycle diaries. Exactly. Exactly. It was really fun. I had, I have nine months of, uh, of notes, you know, it was just oh. one one book, you know, but it was really sweet to go back. And in the back, I had a little sleeve with seeds. I oh. collected seeds along the way. It was very touching, very touching. That's very exciting. And and for listeners, what I was referring to, uh, and Francoise recognized it when I said the motorcycle diaries, is that Che Guevara, when he took off as a young person, late teens, <laughs> early 20s, and did a nine-month trip, in South America. Then he wrote a book called The The Motorcycle Diaries because he was on a motorcycle. That's oh, right. I think that's really wonderful that you have that book. That's really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had that experience with mescaline. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually peyote, most likely. Yes? No, it was wachuma. It was wachuma cactus. Oh, wachuma. Okay. Yeah. You had that. And it was mm-hmm. it was interesting enough that you wanted to do it again some other time. So take us what happened next, please, in your psychedelic life. Yeah, my psychedelic life. Well, so I took that and um, it was, okay, I'm not going to go into the detail, but it was very, very meaningful. 14 hours of seeing nature and feeling myself and looking at my people and this person who took us on this experience. It was it was really a, a communion with life, with nature, with culture, um, my own understanding of my life. I mean, I was unprepared for the magnitude of it, but it was very, um, in, in, indeed, very marking for me. Then uh, fast forward a little bit. We Before come you go the- on, let me interrupt. Those yeah. details that you added, they're important. They're very important, what you just said about what you remember of that experience. We want listeners to hear that, Francois. Okay. Okay. You were totally uninitiated. This was a total (laughs) new experience. And you're sharing with us what happened. And you were about 19 years old. Yes. Yes. The the important thing in that experience, which which was an element that uh, informed uh, my entire psychedelic life, is that I felt safe. I felt very safe with the person, with my friend, 
my friend, my boyfriend, and then the the other person, uh, the French person that was there. I knew this person well from traveling with him a little bit more. And then I felt very safe with the person offering us the substance. We knew him for a little while. We had been hanging out with him in the little town where we were staying and we befriended each other. And he was, he felt very safe, very honest. He was a student um, from um, La Paz, and, oh, Sucre maybe. And he was coming back on vacation to visit his family for uh, the summer, I guess, uh, school break, and he was in university there. He was a, he was an honest person. He was, uh, he was, uh, he felt very gentle, very friendly. And for for me, taking that substance in his care uh, was very, very meaningful because he was caring, he was keeping us safe, he was knowing the landscape. He took us on this long hike that lasted, you know, all this like. 10 hours. <clears throat> and so we walked through this mountain and open fields. And we, I mean, I, I trusted him. He was very uh, knowledgeable of the, of the landscape. And he took us to this amazing um, uh, sort of harvest of quinoa in that was happening in the high, um, the high Sierra, the high Altiplano. Um, and it was very meaningful to see all the uh, native people with their costume, not the costume, the outfit, you know, their, their wear, their gear, um, uh, dealing with the harvest. And, and for me, it felt like the, <clears throat> the, the mountain was alive, the, the, um, the, 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 you know, the wind was alive, the colors were alive. Everything was so heightened, so, um, amplified, so, uh, deepened. And I felt like I understood nature uh, like nature was talking to me in a way that I had never heard before. And I felt so at ease. Um, part of it is I had no fear. I felt safe and I felt at ease with the medicine experience. I felt well within myself. I guess it was uh, important for me. You know, um, I had gone on this trip shortly after my father's passing. He had died of cancer um, in June and I left uh, in September to go to, on this trip. and. I had, you know, obviously not really processed his death very well or very much, or I don't remember a, a lot of what my grieving process had been about. But for me to be on this mountain and being alive and being part of life and being in my full um, vibrational field with the elements was very healing and very um, rebooting myself in a way. Um yeah, we laughed a lot. There was a lot of laughter, but a lot of contemplation, a lot of silence, uh, a lot of being with the indigenous people who were there or so, because they kind of recognized us from the town. And so we would go and, and hang with them and around this harvest. And uh, they were very friendly. They were uh, unthreatened by us. I felt comfortable. And the other thing that was important about that is that in my interfacing with other cultures, which was my first experience really during that uh, travel, I found myself so uh, bonded with a human family, with the, you know, I was a naive, of course, I'm not them. Of course, I don't know their language. Even they spoke a dialect that didn't speak Spanish. We had no words to communicate, but somehow I felt the sense of solidarity or a sense of closeness just by being human. And we, I felt that ease. And that was a big um, initiation for me, beyond the 
psychedelic effect, the, the, the deep connection with other cultures and my ease with them was really significant for me. The I didn't try I res- to be, yeah. mm-hmm. The thing that I resonate so much to of what you're saying is that in my first psychedelic experience, uh, and I was very young also, uh, the sense of connectedness with all other people and with nature, with everything, was was monumental. And I question whether your experience really magnified nature and, and, and the people and everything, or whether it removed filters so you had the realization that everything is alive the wind the wind <laughs> and the trees and the and the and the, everything really is alive it's all even rocks are alive and 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 we and we get in touch with that and uh, what a fortunate thing to happen to you at such a young age and to chance upon a guide which yeah. you learned later in your life as i did uh, how important it is to have a guide that's right and you and you found a, a, a such a wonderful one then, and so let's move forward now to your next psychedelic experience after that. What, what if you could remember? Mm-hmm. Well, I had some um, less uh, optimal psychedelic experience during a time of my life where I got uh, I sunk down a little bit into mm, um, being in a group of people uh, that were using heroin. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm naming that because it is a significant experience in my life, even though I'm not super, uh, how could I say, enchanted with it, or it's not a time that uh, reflects a lot of my vitality or my optimism as I tend to have. It was a, it was a descent into some shadowing and, and, and uh, difficult um, time in my life where I came back from that travel and uh, I ended up uh, living in Italy and <clears throat> around some people who were junkies. And in a way, that descent, I, I really call it into the descent in the dark, uh, was for me very significant uh, in understanding the uh, dangerous use of substances, um, the uh, destroy, destructive use of substances, and what happens to people when when substances are used in a bad way. So for me, even though it was really difficult and I did not end up you know, becoming a junkie, I just smoked and sniffed some heroin for a few months. It was not, you know, taking my life and taking me into the gutter, but I was around that culture and, and I saw what happened and it was very educational for me. Uh, I was lucky to be, um, taken away from that culture by a good friend who decided this is not, this is a bad news and we're going to remove you from there. And so I was removed from that. what What a great friend. It was a very good friend. I, I, I think his name a lot, you know, as I go I through bet. my life. I remember that intervention, oh. literally. Oh, that yeah, that was a game changer. That was huge. Oh, totally, totally game changer. I mean, I'm really grateful. You know, we lost touch. He was in Italy. He was a friend of mine from that group and kind of on the border of that group, not really immersed into this lifestyle. And he saw me descending into the lifestyle a little bit, you know, again, I was not really quite um, as uh, deep into it as um, my few, um, you know, roommates there. But um, so, yeah, so it was informative. And I consider that, um, you know, an experience which later on 
So then my next experience with psychedelic was in Asia, where in Northern Thailand in 79, <clears throat> which was of course not exactly touristy then. I mean, there were some tourists, but it was not quite what it is now. And at the north of Chiang Rai in, uh, in Thailand by the Mekong River, I went to visit some tribes up there. And I, uh, I, I got, I don't know, I got the opportunity to provide a little uh, help uh, in, you know, treating children who had wounds and different infections and skin infection. And I brought some medication. I'm not a nurse or anything trained, but I had the first common sense of hygiene and things like this. <clears throat> and so I was helping the, the, the healing of the kids and the chief of the village of that little village invited me to his den to smoke opium. And it was a traditional reclining across from this man with this long wooden pipe and the little bowl of opium in it. And he was honoring me for my service to the community by sharing with me his, his opium. While the, there was a big celebration and after we smoked, we went out and witnessed the celebration in the village to honor me essentially, or, you know, the, the healing I had uh, provided. And uh, so that was a very meaningful, traditional experience of a medicine in its own context, which was very beautiful. It reminded me of heroin, of course. It had the same flavor of being in this opiate, um, cotton, uh, sort of foggy zone. Uh, it was familiar, so I was not too disoriented. In fact, you know, I had a little bit of experience before. And that was very, uh, very beautiful. Again, reinstated what a medicine can be in its own indigenous context. So that was a healing from my heroin use in a way to have this um, re rehabilitating, you know, the opium, I'm, I'm not saying I'm pro-opium, but to bring the, this medicine back in its natural form in its traditional mm -hmm. context for a certain celebration that is not, you know, throwing people into oblivion. How did, how did you manage to do so much traveling at such a young age? You were all over in Italy, in France, South America, Asia. Uh, quite something impressive amount of traveling for a young person. I would, I would work, you know, I would work when I went to uh, South America. I worked at the post office for a few months and I saved my money and I, uh -huh. <clears throat> I worked. I mean, I had no money given to me at all. It was all my doing. I was all very, very frugal during the travel in South America, you know, we would hitchhike and sleep at, you know, very cheap hotels or what people's and place and eat at the market, you know, there was very frugal trip. And in Asia, I had worked also before um, at a coffee shop in Switzerland before going to Asia and uh, saved my money and lived frugally during those four months of uh, travel in Asia. Yeah. I asked that question uh, purposefully, Francoise, because People listening, they want to know, you know, can I do something like this? Or maybe she was a rich kid and she had a ton of money and was able to do it. But you're saying, no, you did this by working, working in a post office, taking different jobs and then traveling, yeah. which yes. means which means other people can do it. A wider variety of people can do it as well, of course, who of are course. listening. And that's important. <laughs> OK, so you had this. Uh, experience uh, in your teens with marijuana, and then you, you had uh, the experience with mescaline in South America, and then some experiences with heroin in Italy, 
and now so an experience with opium uh, in uh, in Southeast Asia. What what was next in your in your travels uh, as a psycho as a as a soon to be psychonaut? <laughs> so my next experience was um, I'm trying to track, making sure I remember. <clears throat> I think it was when I came uh, after I had moved to uh, San Francisco from Europe. I had I moved in San Francisco in eighty one. <clears throat> uh, August of 81. And uh, about two years later, two, two, three years later, I met um, a man in the East Bay um, of the Bay Area named Pablo Sanchez, who was a um, medicine man. He was a medicine man. He was a um, Part of it, I think his mother was Native American, Pueblo Navajo, and his father was Mexican. And he uh, was born and raised on the Four Corners, uh, the reservation of the Four Corners, <clears throat> um, the Southwest. And he had been participating in various rituals in his youth, of course. <clears throat> and later on in his life had met uh, this, this, this other person, uh, Salvador Roquette, who was a um, Mexican psychiatrist and pioneer in psychedelic explorations. And uh, Pablo and Salvador <clears throat> worked together and were friends and uh, designed these different uh, experiences for clients and patients um, to be in a therapeutic environment in which there would be some experience with psychedelics. Uh, <clears throat> and some of these substances were MDMA, MDA, mushrooms, LSD, and ketamine. So that's how I was sort of raised in this field of uh, psychedelic psychotherapy environment, where the, the substances and the journey themselves were framed within a context of personal growth, personal healing, personal development, you know, therapeutic counseling, healing. Pablo never called himself a therapist or never called himself uh, what he's doing as psychotherapy. He called himself a consultant. And what he was doing was consultas and he was doing journeys and sessions, he called them. And so they were never aimed as a, as a psychotherapy in the sense of curing something. Uh, he was more looking at the, the large picture, the big, the, the big potential of people and trying to help them unfold the potential. So a lot of my exploration for the next years have been uh, distorted and have been um, exploring myself and doing a lot of journeys with these different substances. Was that did that take place in the United States or in Mexico? Because I seem to remember that Raquette had some special permission from the Mexican government to do uh, psychotherapy with psychedelics. He, he was an unusual position down there, as I recall. Yes. So my personal work took place in the United States. Pablo was working that way. I was kind of ignorant and naive as far as the legality of things. So, you know, there was a whole group of people working with him who are doing essentially, you know, his version of illegal work, you know, but we were all like working with him and, and, and doing our, our journeys. Salvador um, was conducting his work in Mexico, you're right. And um, he had some permission. And then eventually the psychiatrist uh, board in Mexico yes. uh, reported him and he went to jail and he got out. And I think he continued some work in some villages, you know, um, sort of a discreet work for a while, um, being hosted by 
villages in the countryside. Yeah. Uh, but it was a lot of uh, less uh, intense than what he had been I doing. I know. Here. He had a terrible time when the government turned on him. I, I recall right. that uh, distantly. Uh, and you were fortunate to be in the United States, even though it was illegal, or at least LSD had, was illegal at that time, but MDMA was still legal in 1981. Yeah. Well, by the time I started to do my personal work, I think I was just at the border of MDMA becoming illegal in 85. That's right. Or something like that. So, And I was not really aware, like I said, I was very naive or uh, just really, really uh, ignorant about the legal status of everything. You know, I was just a new immigrant and not very plugged into the psychedelic legality or not. So I, you know. Now, did you sort of uh, associate with a psychedelic community or did you also have other friends who were not involved with psychedelics? Well, a lot of the people that became my friends were um, definitely involved with this work with Pablo, and we had a, a community of people who are still my friends to this day, actually. Um, <clears throat> you know, 35 years later, uh, they're my Thanksgiving buddies, you know, every year. So we are very bonded, you know, as psychedelic uh, experiences over time and in repeated fashion will really create a, an amazing bond and authenticity and support, uh, of course, amongst people, uh, even though some of these experiences were individual as well, not just in groups. But um, the, the fact that we were sharing this body of exploration and knowledge and, um, and a lot of people were actually uh, studying to be psychotherapists themselves. So there was an intelligence in the, in the process that we were all fascinated by. Um, so my friends were mostly in the psychedelic field and, um, and were interested in this, in this dimension and this access huh, of psychedelics. Yeah. So, so you had uh, companionship as contrasted with some of the other elders that I have interviewed who literally had no one that they could share the experiences with. Some of the people I've interviewed are college professors in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tom Roberts and, and uh, Jerry Brown. And uh, of course, he had his wife, uh, Julie. But, you know, they, they were isolated. Uh, Chris Bache was isolated. And so they, they had no one for years that they could talk to about the experiences. You were very fortunate that you had these people. So it, it also gave you a sense that you were involved with something positive, not that you were, you know, looking over your shoulder all the time about, uh, you know, who's going to find out and what are they going to say or do to you, correct? Yeah, that's true. And, you know, it's interesting, as you said that, Richard, I feel also the the importance for me that, was my environment of the importance of the community, of being a community doing this work and the support and the the, the reflection, you know, we were all, how could I say it, to, to experience the sense of uh, depth and uh, share verbally our experience, create a sense of family here. You know, people are all coming from different places in California and pulling together people would come from New York, or from Florida, or from the Midwest or from different countries. Right. And, and we were, we found each other as a family of sort and that context and principle of community really remain very dear to me to this day in my own community. Now, how this has been carried over to what I believe is so important in the field of psychedelics, which is the principle of, of community and, togetherness and sharing of these deep places with one another. 
Sure. Well, you heard how I feel about it in my introduction when I talked right. about community. I share that with you very, That's very right. deeply. And I believe a lot of that came out of my early psychedelic experiences as well mm -hmm. uh, and later ones. Um, yeah. During this period, I'd like you to tell us, if you can, to, about the, some of the different psychedelic experiences you had with the different substances so you can differentiate because you mentioned a few you mentioned uh, mdma and you mentioned lsd uh well, tell us something about you know about the different experiences and and you know uh, that you had at the time mm -hmm. and what you can re remember and share with us mm -hmm. yes i do remember it's interesting how those experiences really are so branded in our memory, right? And we can recall them pretty readily. Um, I mean, some of them bland, of course, and are less uh, prominent, but some of them are. And I remember uh, my MDMA experiences being really important uh, for me to process some of the trauma that I, uh, I didn't call it trauma then, I don't know, experiences of life that had been difficult. I mean, now we have you know, psychological uh, vocabulary to uh, to point uh, to this uh, to these moments, but I was really um, resolving and um, uh, from my body as well as from my heart and my energy some of the some fears and some uh, very deep uh, challenge of trust that um, that I had um, accumulated in myself uh, and the MDMA you know was really significant for me to talk about those experiences that had happened, um, being able to put some vocabulary on it, tell someone, uh, and through the telling and through the, you know, discharging my body contraction, uh, was, I was able to really liberate myself from some pretty gnarly, um, uh, you know, experiences that had left uh, traces of, of fear uh, and mistrust in people. So, <clears throat> that was MDMA was very significant for that. And I remember one experience where um, I was uh, touching a piece of trauma uh, of, of difficult situation and feeling very nauseated and feeling like I was really in the trench, you know, of my difficult, ugly, unpleasant process uh, of feeling disturbance and how my body was, 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 uh, moving around, feeling really uncomfortable, like, oh, you know, this like things that I was, that I was, um, trying to get out of my skin, so to speak. <clears throat> and then I would, I would emerge to this light. I literally, I was outside, I was emerged to the light and be surrounded by the trees and feel like, my belonging to nature, which I knew I, I was anchored in me from previous exploration that we said. And so I felt like this uh, renewal of hope and well-being and health. And then I would sort of dive back in into, literally dive back in into the bottom of my pond, you know, with the muck and all. And then I would like come, come back up to breathe. And this uh, back and forth into my healing on um, MDMA was, um, was very, very, um, profound and taught me a lot about how to deal with trauma, how trauma, um, how difficult experiences are processed in this natural ebb and flow, this natural wave pattern of going in and coming up for air and going in and coming up for air. So that was very instructive to me, even though it was also very, you know, difficult. So that was MTMA. Uh, 
And the mushrooms, I felt... Before, um, excuse me, let me interrupt. Before, let, before we go on, I'll, I'll, some, I'll some uh, question about the MDMA. Huh? Um, were you with a guide, and did the guide work with you with this, these uh, down deep in the murk in the pond, uh, verbally? Yeah. Yes, verbally? <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. So I would, there, I was, would... there was back and forth? The guide was right there telling me, my, my Pablo was telling me, okay. I said, oh, it's so bad down there. And I would go and, and he said, tell me what you see. Tell me what you feel and feel what you feel. And he was really supportive of whatever was happening. Like, this is okay. You're here. I'm here. You just go ahead in the bottom. I said, I feel like I'm in the bottom of the pond in the muck and the kind of like gooey stuff. And he said, all right. Be there as long as it's there. Be long as as long as be there. Be there. You know, don't you know? You don't have to bury yourself, but be there until it stops being there. So he was really helping me surrender and make, getting me the courage to 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 stay with it as long as it it was there. And then I would emerge, and I said, "Oh, I'm coming up. I'm coming up." And I feel I feel like okay. I see the trees out the window. I feel you're here, and I'm in the room, and it's. I'm okay, right? And he said, "Yeah, you're okay. You're okay. This is great. You know, you're you're breathing. Just breathe now. Breathe, breathe." And he would help me breathe, and he would massage my feet, and you know, like really, uh, whatever, do some really, uh, you know, love loving uh, presence moment. And then I said, "Oh, I feel it's coming back down. I'm coming back. I'm going back in the pond." And he said, "Okay, just go with it. Go with it." And he would just basically make me safe validate my experience, make me feel like this was a positive, fruitful, doing good work. This is good. Keep going with this. I'm right there. And those for me were amazing element of what has remained to my work to this day, to today. This is, this is something that has impacted me a great deal, how to work with an experience in an active way while supporting the organicity of it. I believe that a bad trip is really the best kind of trip because it's an opportunity to get into the most scary kind of stuff and master it and conquer it. That's and right. so it's really with a guide. It's not a bad trip. It turns out to be a good trip. And, and that's I important. Agree. It's important. Yeah. You agree. And it's important for listeners and people to know that, that, that these medicines aren't all about happy, laughing, joking, and kidding around and communing with nature, which is all a lot of fun and part of the experience for sure. But it's also about going down into the depths of our dark sides and, and mastering and conquering uh, what I call, you know, search missions for fear that I go on, looking, yeah. uh, looking at every corner of my consciousness for what I'm presently afraid of and, and searching it out. So that was MDMA. Okay. Um, a question, it's going to relate to MDMA, but it's going to relate to the other substances as well. Mm -hmm. How do you bring it back? Bring it back, meaning you're in an altered state. Mm -hmm. You're going to come back into what we call a reality state. We call it that. It's just another state, as you know, but we call it our reality state. How do you bring back the depth of what you've learned and experienced so that you can manifest it in your daily life? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of passion for that piece, Richard. You know, that's, know. Really, that's really where, I mean, that's really what I wanted. I, you know, do I care about going down in the trenches doing an MBA <laughs> experience? No. Do I want to be in the bottom of my pond with the mug? No. What I want is a better life, a more trusting life, a more easy life, a more, you know, breathing life, right? I mean, literally I had a hard time breathing. There was a moment where, you know, it was coming to crescendo, this need of dealing with this. And so, you know, what what my guide really helped me and that I've continued to work with and, you know, promote or something is the integration process. Um, Meaning he had, he said, he said, okay, you went there, you did all this work, you liberated yourself from all this, you saw the truth, you felt the truth, you felt the truth of your fear and, and trauma, and you felt the truth of the love and trees, right? And now, how are you doing on the other side of this experience? And part of his guidance was, what is the transformed self? So that's something I've been really exploring a lot and working with and that I've developed, um, you know, further, so to speak, is what is the state of the transformed person? What, how does it show up in life? We can, we can talk about an experience with psychedelics, you know, forever, but that is not what matters. I mean, yeah, it matters. And we have a lot of, um, you know, wonderful and difficult uh, memories of the experience, yes. but what is the result? What is the aftermath? What is the, what is the, re- the liberated person or the um, the person who has been shedding this trauma, what state is that person now? Yes. What, state, what is life when someone can see the trees and feel alive? And how is that liveliness, aliveness and vibration and, and vitality really showing up? So bringing it back is feeling, feeling the, the transformation, feeling the transformed self and tracking how this life is now in this current moment, you know, what's, what's the current moment? You know, I, I tell a lot of people, you know, doing psychedelic work is basically getting current. You do the work and then you get current with yourself. What, who you were before is not who you are now. So let's get current. And so getting current is important, realizing who you've become after an experience and then how to anchor the um the gift uh, the the gift from the experience how to anchor this vitality in some practices in some rituals in some um celebration in some um self-care and so a lot of this uh this this new self is being um practiced into uh into ways that are really making it true in life and making it like so the, the roots are sticking, you know, the, the seed is germinating and it's actually sticking rather than being flown around the wind because there's no aftercare. So talk, can you talk some more about anchoring? That's an important concept. You're talking about bringing back the experience mm-hmm. and then being able to maintain it in daily life and you're referring to it as as tools that are used for anchoring. Tell us about some of those tools for anchoring so that you maintain what you have learned rather than it was a ride in Coney Island, but now it's gone. Exactly. So the tools can be very diverse. It can be anything from committing to a yoga practice or taking walks in nature or 
um, creating a better environment, living environment. Sometimes people just realize they can't live in the same environment or the same arrangement, the decor. And so there's a lot of a renewal of the environment that reflects their inner state. So moving the furniture, changing the furniture, or decorating differently. Um, spiritual practices are a big piece of what happens after experiences like you know, a meditation practice or um, a chanting or making an altar uh, with some images of what is uh, reflecting the sacred, um, or what they count as sacred for themselves. It's also reaching out to friends and becoming less isolated and sharing more of their, um, not their experience of psychedelic, but who they are becoming, um, joining, uh, you know, a gardening club or a singing choir or a um, hiking group or uh, going traveling. For some people, they feel more bold and more um, adventurous and they can, you know, do a yoga retreat in Costa Rica or a, you know, adventure in Alaska in the summer or something. So they, they, they feel a little more capable of doing something or they feel also more empowered. And um, some people decide to uh, speak up for their emotional self and their, their issues with someone. Maybe they try to resolve something or reach out to be more authentic and possibly more vulnerable, but also more um, boundaried. Um, and less uh, weak and and uh, passive, you know. Um, so the, the 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 practices that are possibly found and created and suggested are uh, a, a application of the transformation that has happened in the journey. So let's say someone is. Uh, you know, going into a journey, wanting to open a, a bigger spiritual space because they feel a little flat, you know, in their life and they want to see the bigger picture, right? which is a lot of what, why people do psychedelics also. And they go into the journey and then they go into their relationship with their mother, right? It doesn't go into very much the, the great picture or the cosmic consciousness, but it goes into, you know, my mom was depressed or my mom was absent or my mom was, you know, micromanaging me all the time and I felt I couldn't breathe. And there was a difficulty that has never been spoken, never been expressed. And so the, the client now is like taking stock of the impact of the dynamic with the mother or the impact of, uh, of, of her challenge or her wounding into their life. So then I say, well, I mean, you could go meditate, which is a good thing to go as up in a spiritual practice, but the journey is really showing you that the first step towards that expansion has to do with resolving your, your emotional issue with your mom and creating a dialogue or an expression that is, true that is authentic to you because you're blocked you are you are feeling you know bugged down by an emotional burden here so the step would be to either write a letter to his to his or her mom i'm thinking of a client here i had some years ago so to his mom or um making a, a paying a visit and really sitting down intentionally in some uh, expression of what has been challenging and hopefully that can be done in in compassion and kindness uh, um, or maybe expressing some some boundaries some need of boundary or some anger or you know again not in a violent way to hurt someone necessarily but to be authentic and so um, that can be the follow-up you know the integration practice is go see your mom and talk to her <laughs> it's not about you know go to the top of the mountain and see God Francoise you come across as a very bright light 
what, uh, which is a pleasure to, to be with, what are some of the anchoring practices that you personally have used over the past, say, five years or so, or any period of time? What are, what, what are your personal ones that have worked for you? Mm. For me, for me, um, what has worked very well is to be very centered in my body. So I do a lot of uh, yoga and movement and breathing and um I do a lot of connection with nature. I garden a lot. I feel like it's a good way for me to um, fuel myself with vitality of, of nature. Also, uh, shed the intensity um, or burden or, you know, emotions of other people that come in my in my care, you know, that I don't want to carry on me. So a lot of my connection with nature is really helping me. And I live in nature, so I have a lot of solitude. Um, you, you live in nature? Yeah. Yeah. I live in nature. Um, I don't see any other house from my house. Uh, it's it really helpful for me to have a sense of, of uh, absence of noise and other people's um, stuff around me um, for what I'm, you know, the kind of work I'm doing. Um, and then I eat very healthy. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't. I don't uh, use cannabis. I. I need to have my um, my sensitivity very. My antennas very very alert, and to uh, have my intuition very open. And so that's that's what I work. That's what works for me. I have a great community. I have a great. I have good friends. Um, and I have a lot of uh, creativity in my life. I'm very creative, both with the garden and my my art work and things like this. Yeah. Do you find that it's helpful to do certain of these practices on a schedule? Would you recommend that to piss people who are listening, that they like do certain things at certain times or that they do yoga you know, uh, on a schedule or whatever their particular anchoring tool <clears throat> is? And, and by the way, the, a lot of this that we're talking about now uh, is in your book. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we want to right. So we want we want people to remember that consciousness medicine. I'm sure it's on Amazon by uh, uh, Francois Boza B O R Z A for you listeners, and, and with a T at the end, but you don't pronounce it. <laughs> and, but, uh, consciousness medicine, uh, and you want you want to get the book and read it. Um, what about? Yes, so- what about scheduling? People, you know, they, yeah. they, they they like details. People like details. Well, you know, I, I want to say it depends, but I'm going to say that uh, I think that it's important to pay attention to how each of us function. For me, um, for example, my, my relationship with nature and my garden is constant. I don't have to schedule it. I love it. I can't wait to go there. And so it's a, it's a great attraction, right? I'm, I'm going at, out to my house and I'm pettering with my plants and I plant and I change things and I harvest my things. I mean, it's an ongoing love story that never, I don't have to schedule it. Now, um, if I want to do some exercise or if I want to do some yoga, you know, it's better if it's scheduled. I know the day will go better if I put it on my schedule and I've had a little routine now that <clears throat> for the last bit, actually, uh, I used to have a yoga class and then COVID happened. So 
you know, I, I stopped going to my yoga class and I started to do some yoga at home. And then I kind of lost my rhythm and structure. Uh, my, I, I was not very disciplined. So in the last bit, in the last few months, I actually returned to a morning, you know, the first thing I do, I get up in my living room and I do my, my yoga, my exercise, my breathing, my stretching, and that's good to do it first thing in the morning. So I just do that before I drink tea, before I do anything, I just exercise. Um, the other thing, um, that uh, is, is important is I, I, uh, I do some artwork, uh, ceramics, uh, specifically <clears throat> for the last, whatever, two years, a year and a half. And, uh, and I really like to go somewhere to do it, uh, because getting out of my, having a schedule, you know, time for when I go and do my ceramics is important for me because otherwise, if I just want to do it at home, I know I'll kind of be, get busy with this and that. And, and it, it, my, my wonderful nourishment with my creativity might be, uh, remote, remote, remotely on the bottom of the list of uh, my, my, my activities. So it's a good idea to schedule, to structure, and then, and then check with yourself. Some people feel like, oh, I can't wait to get up and sit and meditate, or, oh, I can't wait, wait to get up and do my journal writing. And so whatever is instinctively pleasant will always happen. And that's, we don't need to schedule those, but what is a little bit more tricky to maintain or to feel we have, we're keeping a sense of balance, then, then it's a good idea to, uh, to create a structure and, and hopefully stick to it, you know? Well, we took a side trip there into anchoring exercises, which I'm glad we did, but yeah. I'm going to bring us back because we, we talked about MDMA and I, I interrupted you when you were going to start to talk about psilocybin. So if mm -hmm. you'd be so kind as to take us on a little mushroom journey. Yeah. Well, that's a big, big love of my life. The mushroom is the big love of my life. You know, uh, it's really something and, uh, uh, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, I don't want to be too weird about it, but it's almost like it called me. Uh, it felt like it was really, uh, a path for me of, uh, deep, um, uh, communion. Uh, and I don't say that in a religious way, but really a coming together, a coming with a union with, uh, an, a, a, an intelligence, an organism, a, a, a tradition, I don't know, uh, some, some intelligence that has really been uh, wanting me to be its steward or messenger or, or you know, carrier. So um, I started doing these mushrooms with Pablo, of course, um, and, uh, and I continued doing these mushrooms uh, diligently and deeply with Julieta, uh, my friend uh, in the uh, southern Mexico indigenous region of the Mazatec and, uh, immersing myself with a traditional healer like her and her family. And I'm still, uh, very much, um, part of this, uh, family, <clears throat> uh, since Julieta passed away, but I am now very, continue to be very involved with them. And, um, there is the mushroom and then there is the culture around the mushrooms. And I think that what has been starting for me was my personal exploration with mushrooms with Pablo, um, was an amazing discovery of the magical landscape of the unconscious, the, the dimension of the cosmos, the, uh, multi, uh, multi-dimensional, uh, aspects of life and, um, you know, 
my inner forces and darkness and uh, archetypes and my deep um, psychology and um, the karmic um, understanding of my my destiny, uh, the uh, perfect uh, theater of my life with the different people coming into being my my um, my actors on the stage of my life. Um, uh, my um, my self love and discovering my my appreciation of myself and my judgment of myself and where that comes from, um, you know the biography and lineage of my uh, my family uh, of origin, my parent, father, and mother, and where they came from and their um, you know predicaments and circumstances and conditions of their own cultural background and social background and and trauma, what they endured, and my uh, understanding of how that shaped me. All this, all this, all this um, richness, you know, that the mushroom really have have given me. Um, you know, it's a to to penetrate uh, oneself, uh, to dive into one inner world with the mushroom is a, quite an adventure that is not always easy and can be quite. Uh, challenging uh, as we said earlier it's not always a happy go lucky kind of uh you know let's uh listen to the to the beauty of the music <clears throat> although that's there too it can be really challenging to tap into our limitations and the wounds and this and the uh, you know isolation or the very difficult experience we go through in life uh, or in our culture or what surrounds us and the state of the planet i mean all this can be really challenging but i think that the more we know the wiser we are. And the more we know about ourselves and the world around us, the the more loving we can be and the more conscious we can be in the decisions we make. So it is the more agency we have with our lives, the more, yeah, the more uh, vitality we can have and the more uh, vibrancy we can have and we have more potency. The more we know, the more potent we are to make changes, I believe. Um, can you, can process, you give a- I call it I call it the process of liberation and empowerment. This is my my words, you know, that I like to use. Can you give a rough estimate of how many times you've taken psilocybin? I, I don't know. Um, more, more, than, more than 50? Oh, yeah. Okay, that's good enough. And hundreds, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hundreds. And how about LSD? I have worked with LSD um, also, um, uh, not not quite as much. Um, I don't know how many times I took LSD. Again, I took mostly mushrooms. My my path has been mostly with mushroom. So I take I've taken LSD and I've done some work with LSD with Pablo and other people. Um, I love LSD. It's a very beautiful medicine. Um, I like the visual. Uh, inner and outer effects. I like the um, the sense of community. I like the um, yeah. Is it which one is the, which one is the big teacher for you? Mushrooms. Mushrooms is the big teacher. Yeah. And can you talk about dosage with with mushrooms? How many grams that you take when you want a a big a big uh, Lesson? <laughs> well, um, it has evolved with time. I used to possibly take five grams 
of dried mushrooms uh, when okay. I was starting. And now I think that my 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 teaching, my full experience, probably two and a half. And do you are you currently uh, still taking uh, psychedelics? Yes, I do. I do. I do. Um, you know, I continue traveling to Mexico on a very regular basis, and I feel like I'm, I can um, explore there. You know, I have my own little practice, but mainly um, I like to take uh, them in that context because I want to continue learning from the land in which they are practiced. Because for me, I learn from the mushroom, but I learn also from the nature around the mushroom. I feel that that's really, um, you know, um, interconnectedness is very important for me between the land where the plant is growing and the plant itself. So I want to, I want to learn about the culture and I want to learn about, uh, I want them, I, I hope, and I pray for the mushroom to keep downloading their wisdom as far as a tradition, not just, a, a an, a, an organism and a molecular, uh, you know, thing we take. Of the people I've interviewed, we, we seem to fall into two camps. One group has finished. They've taken the psychedelics for decades, many experiences, and they, they, they feel complete and that they've learned as much as they're going to learn. And the other group is, says, there's always more to learn, and I look forward to learning more, and I'm going to continue doing it. And then I interviewed an 80-year-old uh, recently, who stopped for 15 years uh, and now and, and, and in order to practice what he had learned. And now he's looking forward to coming back into taking psychedelics for the next step and to learn more. It's been that's been a, a very interesting. Have you have you um, experienced microdosing with uh, any of these substances? Mm hmm. Yeah. Which ones? And tell us about microdosing, please. I've uh, experienced with microdosing with mushrooms. Uh, this is what I've experienced microdosing once um, with some friends of mine, uh, uh, LSD. And that was interesting, but I think it was a little more than microdosing. So I found myself slightly um, <clears throat> sort of a, you know, in a, in a very interesting state of of, of great uh, appreciation for uh, nature, but also uh, a wonderful goofiness with uh, my friends. But it, it felt like it was a little more, it was more of a journey than a little edge of the journey rather than really the microdosing. So I wouldn't that's say a lot that, I, more. that. Yeah, that's a lot more than a microdose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, I was, it was, it was definitely more than microdosing. Yeah. But the mushrooms, yes, I have microdose with mushrooms, and I really feel that this is a interesting and valuable. Um, experience uh, for a time to uh, tap into uh, for myself. I mean, I just say how it works for me. It helps me feel more settled, a little more relaxed, a little more being, and a little less doing. My tendency is to be very um, active, very um, outwardly turned, and even though I cherish my solitude and all. And when I have, when I, when I microdose, there's a sense of leaning back, of sitting and leaning back against the, 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 the back of my, of my life, so to speak. And, um, and, uh, the, the seeing the world in my life rather than be constantly on stage of my life. Right. There's a, there's a, there's a nice feeling of, of, uh, 
of uh, of rest and uh, of uh, contemplation. It opens a space of contemplation with for me that I value greatly uh, in the state of my life that is a lot more about creation and manifesting and producing and talking and teaching. You know, uh, being sitting back is a good welcome option for me. And w- what is the size that you like for a psilocybin microdose? Well, I suggest, uh, and for me, I su- you know, maybe a tw- again, I'm very, very sensitive. So my, my uh, personal dosage might not be reflecting to what p- other people might, uh, might do, but Understood. something around the, something around the 20th of a gram for me is what is sufficient. But uh, for most people, that is not really uh, enough. Uh, people take a tenth of a gram or between a twentieth of a tenth of a gram, fifteenth of a gram. Um, between, between a tenth and a twentieth of a yeah. gram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because again, what we want is is not for someone to have an experience. We don't want anybody to feel any effect. We want yeah. some people just to have a state inside that's more uh, soothed or more for people who are a little bit lethargic and depressed, it creates a little bit more vitality, but it's not about changing the, the sensations. Huh? It's, uh, it's more subtle than that. Yeah. But we're talking maybe 50 to 100 milligrams. Yeah. People want to know this is important. And of course, there's Arrowid that people yes. can go to. And yes. Arrowid, E-R-O-W-I-D, for you all listening, uh, yeah. is an excellent uh, source of information. It's a giant vault of information on, on yes. psychedelics that all of us refer to. Yes, absolutely. Um, have you, uh, had the experience of journeying with a psychedelic substance with your children or your husband? Yes. Uh, uh, well, with my husband, I have, I have been to Mexico with him and we have done mushrooms together and we have done salvia together. And, uh, you know, we've, we've done, uh, some, uh, what did we do? We did some uh, mushrooms, of course, with Pablo and again, with in Mexico, uh, we've done MDMA together. Um, yeah. So the, we've done a lot of, we've, we've, we, you know, yeah, we've done, we've done fairly, a fair, a fair amount of explorations together. Yeah. And what can you share with listeners about your sexuality with psychedelics? Mm. Well, you know, I, I, in my personal experience, um, I have preferred to not use psychedelics uh, in my in my sexual life, so to speak. You know, to mix them together. I understand some other people are really finding a lot of benefit and beauty. Now, it doesn't mean I don't explore. Uh, especially with MDMA, you know, a space of sensuality and closeness, which is beautiful, you know, which is bonding. But the sexuality, uh, as far as, you know, really making love and having all this activity, um, uh, is, is not very, um, it's not the space that comes to me with psychedelics. Uh, I like um, certainly the, um, how could I say, uh, resolution of any, um, you know, tension of finishing business with my husband that co- opens up to a, a deeper intimacy, to a deeper vulnerability and to uh, a shared uh, sense of, uh, of, of desire. Suddenly that's, that's really uh, has been, uh, you know, wonderful to, to stay current with each other and to not have any subconscious material 
as much as we can, of course, to block our um, physical intimacy and emotional intimacy. But I don't like very much the mixing of the substance with my sexual life, per se. Tell us something about the place of agenda uh, or what's sometimes referred to as intention with regard to the use of psychedelics. Mm -hmm. what, are you, what are your thoughts and what do you teach about that? Mm -hmm. I uh, consider um, intention an important piece of the preparation uh, in entering uh, those states with psychedelics. Um, you know, one has to, uh, you know, why do we do something? I mean, do we do something because we feel we need to expand our lives or do we need some, do we do a psychedelic because we have a painful story to resolve and explore and liberate from? Do we do psychedelics because we need to connect more with ourselves or nature or people or our past? So why do we do psychedelics? Do we do psychedelics because we're just curious how it's going to feel? That's a nice curiosity and we can certainly validate that. But in my experience in working with people, I always feel like there's always a reason why people want to do psychedelic, even with the curiosity of you know, like, oh, I've done mushroom when I was younger and now I want to return to, uh, to explore. Well, why? What, what, what calls you now? You know, what is, you know, you're 80 years old maybe, and that might be something, you know, you're preparing for the last phase of life or completing a life or um, you haven't finished business on something that, that you realize in the last 20 years. And so there is always something, you know, that is uh, motivating people to go into those experiences. And I'd like to name it. I like to put it on, on the altar, right. On putting it, putting it alive. You know, this is a, this is a longing. You have a longing for something. It's not like your life is imperfect. is not like, you know, good enough or, but you have a longing for something and it's, you're walking towards something. And that's nice to um, to name that. Is there, for some people, they go into psychedelic use as a search for meaning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is this, is this a proper use for psychedelics, a search for meaning and values? Yes, absolutely. Purpose. Why, why, why am I alive? Why, why am I alive? What am I supposed to do in this life? What am I supposed to feel? Is this life, you know, just uh, waking up and meaning, you know, finding purpose, finding, uh, you know, the juice of life, the creativity of life, the love of life and love in life. A lot of people come for a deeper, um, broader, uh, richer experience of life. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're coming to the end of our time and I have, a question, unless you have material that you can think of, which you're most welcome to, a question I'd like to end with, which is yeah. an adult comes to you or comes to me and says, I've never had a psychedelic experience, but I want one. What do you tell them? What, what, how do they go about it? What do they do? What's the best advice you counsel you can give them? Mm -hmm. Well, I, ask them, why do you want it? What brings you to this? And start to look at uh, their life, you know, their aspects of life. Like I say in my book, you know, where, where are you? What, what, let me, you know, 
orient yourself in your life. What brings you to this desire of an experience? What's happening in your internal landscape? With your body, with your emotion, with your spirituality, with your social life, with your relationship with the world and nature? What, what, what is the foundation in which an experience like this will land? So we'll look at the, the, the land, literally the landscape. Where, where is the soil in which we're going to put that seed? And we want to cultivate the soil. We want to cultivate this, um, this, and then we want to create intention and we want to create balance. We want to create resources. Where is the person going to go after an experience? Who are they going to talk to? How are they going to take care of themselves? Um, we want to create the environment, the basket in which to put the, the offering, right? So a lot of this for me is about um, really, really making sure that, uh, uh, you know, that there is a, there is a go-to and a come-from uh, around the experience itself. So creating the container and the inner care is very important and the outer care is very important. And then there is the finding a guide, finding someone who can be trusted, skilled, educated, who has been there, done that, and has some good uh, support to offer uh, and will support the person afterwards. Someone will show up, not just for the experience, but also... Uh, help or a, a counselor, a chaplain, or a good friend who will be able to really uh, reflect and validate afterwards. And as we said earlier, uh, keep anchoring the experience on the other side or make sense of it if it's a difficult experience. Really being able to, you know, sort things out and, and see the the value of such difficult experience. So we want to create the environment for the experience before going into the experience. And then, of course, we have to talk about what it's like, what happens, the, the effects on the body or the mind or, you know, losing grasp, grasp of this reality and the safety that is there and the consent of, you know, a touch if needed to hold a hand. You know, we want to make sure that the everything is sort of sp spelled out so the person feels very uh, safe. Again, a lot of the data has to do with the container. Is there an age at which you believe a person should achieve before they have their first experience, a chronological age, or does it depend solely on the person, or how do you see that? Well, it depends on the person, of course. Uh, it depends on the context. Um, you know, in Mexico, children uh, are part of the ceremonies there, and they ingest a little mushroom with their parents or their grandmother or something. So there is a access. Huh? They're not removed from the environment at all. Uh, but in, in our world here, um, you know, I mean, of course, if you are with your parent and you are not, uh, you know, 18 and your parent is, or some family members with the consent of the parent is determining that that would be beneficial. Someone can do an experience of 16, um, 15, 16 in some ways, in some smaller dosage. You know, it's all a matter of dosage and context also, of course, of course. Um, it, ca it can benefit, you know, uh, again, with the, with the parent uh, consenting and permitting with the right environment. You know, it can be very useful for uh, teenagers and young people in state of depression or uh, challenging life. It can be a really good um, shift. Uh, but again, it has to be done in a, in a legal way with the parents present and all. So, With an excellent guide, are psychedelics for everyone? Or are there some people who would be better to say no? 
I think there are people with um, mental uh, challenges like bipolar challenges or, uh, you know, fragility towards psychosis or people who've had seizures who have a seizures uh, condition, uh, women who are pregnant, um, people with heart disease and blood pressure. Um, you know, some people need to really um, make sure they are physically fit and that it doesn't endanger their life. So I think there's a caution for that. And people who wish to have an experience should really consult a physician or psychiatrist, especially people on, on medication, uh, SSRIs and such, and, and anxiolytic, as well as um, blood pressure medication and different uh, other uh, phys- physical um uh, challenges. So there is a there is a medical screening to be done for psychedelic uh, ingestion, I believe, for safety and and uh, the right approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But overall, I gather that psychedelics have had a profoundly positive effect on your life. Yes, it has been a really amazing um, love story. A careful love story, but a love story, and I keep uh, learning. Uh, like you said earlier, for me, I I keep discovering and learning and re- reasserting and opening new pages of my my book, my life book. And I I, I really feel a, a wonderful um, support and appreciation for what psychedelics have have taught me and healed in me and and uh, offered to me. Yes. Well, that's a great place to stop our interview. And and thank you very much, Francoise. Thank you for the opportunity, Richard. That was great. Well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much. And thank you all for joining me for today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health and Politics. With special thanks to our producer, Charlie Dice, and our IT specialist, David Springer in the Midwest. Working together as a team, David in Kansas, Charlie Deist in Berkeley, uh, and myself in Mendocino County, we make this broadcast possible. And this program and other programs of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics can all be found on our archive, uh, mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. Please join me again next Tuesday at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time for our next broadcast. And until then, this is Dr. Richard Lewis Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for, and it is essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Please.